Hi, Pastor Anthony here. At Vintage Faith Church, we stand behind the Bible's claim to be the Word of God, and we believe that the Scriptures contain everything needed for life and godliness. The Scriptures testify to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We pray that this recording stirs your faith towards that end. This is in no way meant to be a substitute for the local church gathering, which we believe is critical to your growth as a Christian and your walk with Christ. We pray that you will find the sermon edifying and challenging. Thank you for listening. All right, so as you heard last week with with Bernie, he was in Psalm 45, and today we're going to be in Psalm 42. And if you've noticed over the last two years, we kind of have a rhythm where we're in a sermon series and then we stop a sermon series. And we've been kind of filling those in with Psalms. Um, It's not been, you know, a complete one for one, but, but that's kind of the rhythm that we're getting into as a church. So we're about to go into another sermon series here um, in a few weeks, but you're going to hear um, from me today on Psalm 42, and you heard from Bernie on Psalm uh, 45 last week. Um, but today we're, we're going to look at Psalm 42, and, and I may or may not be introducing a new concept to you. And that concept is lament. Christian lament. And I don't know if you've ever considered that in in your walk, but uh, before we get into the psalm, I want to talk a little bit about why lament is something that you should seek to do as a believer. Um, And it's when I say seek to do it, you're you're not going to choose when you lament. You're going to lament when it's uh, appropriate. But uh, This is from one theologian. He says, much Christian spirituality is romantic and unreal in its positiveness. We have censored the voice of darkness and disorientation, seeking to go from strength to strength, from victory to victory. But such a way not only ignores the Psalms, it's a lie in terms of our actual experience. As I look around the room and um, as your pastor, I at times get a front row seat into your lives, um, especially if you're, you're going through something difficult. Um, and I can tell you this, Many of you are in deep, deep trials, gut-wrenching trials. And it doesn't stop. If it, you have your moment, and then you might come out of it, but then you're going to go into it again. This is real life. This is real Christianity. Real Christianity is messy. It is not going from victory to victory or success to success. Like the quote said, much Christian spirituality that's sold out there in the marketplace is just unrealistic and romantic in its positiveness. And for sure, we have victory in Christ. But the way that victory is going to play out in our lives is going to be messy, and we have got to be prepared for it. 
We suffer because we live and we still live in a fallen world. We suffer because we have enemies in this fallen world, enemies that are uh, aggressive against the faith that you proclaim. We suffer because the world as we know it includes much loss and sickness and death and disease. We suffer because at times God feels distant. We want to feel him and we can't. We suffer because of our own sin. We suffer because of others' sin against us. We live in a world where we cannot ignore pain, loss, and suffering. And today we're going to look at Psalm 42 that is going directly into that in a way, and it's just pressing in. And the Psalms will show us, how do I live and have faith in this? How do I um, honor God while I'm wondering where God is? Carl Truman, again, of, of, of the Psalms, um, says this, uh, of, of this whole idea of excluding the Psalms from Christianity. He says, by excluding Cries of loneliness, dispossession, and desolation from its worship. The church has effectively silenced and excluded the voices of those who are themselves lonely, dispossessed, and desolate, both inside and outside of the church. It has implicitly endorsed the banal, it's just kind of like boring, the boring aspirations of consumerism and generated an insipid, which means lacking flavor and vigor, trivial and unrealistically triumphalist Christianity. So I would just ask you this morning, have you fallen victim to this? Have you fallen victim to triumphalism? Now, there's another side to this that you can err, which is, oh, poor me, I'm never going never gonna to beat this. There's no, that's not true. But triumphalism seems to be that one of the things that can haunt us as Christians because your life does not attest to where you think you should be. So some questions this morning to get the juices flowing. Have you ever wondered or prayed to God, why is this happening in my life right now? Why, Lord? This is painful. Why aren't you removing this right now? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever thought that? Have you ever prayed that prayer? Have you ever been mad at God? How did you express it? Have you ever been in the middle of a trial and God just feels distant? You want to pray, you want to hear from him, you want to feel his presence, but you just don't. And I would say as an answer to those questions that, that the Psalms of lament are where you should turn. And there are many Psalms of lament. Lament is defined as a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. A passionate 
expression of grief or sorrow. And I would say, brothers and sisters, you and I don't grieve like those who have no hope. In fact, the Apostle Paul says exactly that, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So we grieve, and in the midst of our grief, we actually have hope and we can worship. And that's what you're going to see in Psalm 42 today. And in fact, after we preach through Psalm 42, we're going to sing Psalm 42, which we have sung before, and it's, it's a certain arrangement of it. It's not going to be word for word, but we're going to sing it. And we're going to feel it as a congregation. So, um, brothers and sisters, we can lament, and we can lament with hope. Amen, Amen, brother. All right, so Psalm 42. Before we get into Psalm 42, if you have your Bibles, um, or which I know we don't typically... uh, roll like that, but you're going to hear a little more from me. I'm trying to encourage people to bring their Bibles. But at the top of Psalm 42, most of your Bibles are going to say, a mascal of the sons of Korah. Okay, so so some people think that David um, had something to do with writing this psalm, but we know that the, the sons of Korah, they were musicians. We know that they were involved in just a little bit about who the sons of Korah um, were before we, we get into the psalm. That there's a point in the book of Numbers where a few people basically come against Moses and Aaron and they say, why, why you guys? Why, why do you guys have all the, you seemingly have all the glory and, and we, we can have that too. And, and there's this battle and basically um, God swallows up these grumblers and complainers into the ground alive. Some of you have read that story. Um, maybe you've never heard of that story. Um, but, but Korah was one of the complainers. But in Numbers 26, 10 to 11, we have this interesting recap of what happened. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, them up together with Korah. When that company died... When the fire devoured 250 men, and they became a warning. But the sons of Korah did not die. So as I was exploring this and and thinking it through and just reading about what people thought on that, it, it became evident that in some way, most likely, you have these sons of Korah, for whatever reason, that were there on that day, that witnessed this thing, this earth, swallow people up alive, but they were spared. And many think that that family, and a generational thing, devoted themselves wholeheartedly to praise and worship in the corporate gathering because they were so grateful for God sparing them and and electing them and not swallowing them up into the pit. So that that is just may give you a little background about uh, um, this psalm and and the sons of Korah. All right, let's uh, let's dig in. If you have your Bibles, um, Psalm 42 is where we're going to be today. Not much jumping around, but maybe a little here and there. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you. O God, 
My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? So right from the get-go, we have just this picture of the psalmist who is thirsting for the Lord, crying day and night. And there's somebody or people saying, well, people saying, where's your God? So there's taunting happening on the outside. And we're going to find out soon that this psalmist is not in Jerusalem. Um, but if you can imagine here, you've got a deer panting for water. The deer pants for water in the summer when the, the streams are dried up. And a panting is a normal just reaction to not having water. And the psalmist here is saying, my soul is panting from, for God in the way that a deer pants for water. The psalmist is liking, likening his condition to this deer. And he goes on to say in Psalm 42, 4, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. Okay, so we've got to say, what, what does he remember? He's longing for God. He misses um, the, he, 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 that feeling and, the, and that, that closeness to, to God, the worship. And he says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. The psalmist is longing for God, and where does he go? He goes to corporate worship. Oh, how I remember when I would lead the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. If, if you're like me, and, and I think just generally in our individualistic time that we live in, um, for whatever the reason, we've all at some level inherited very weak views of what's happening right now right here. Some of you may just think, hey, Anthony's up there teaching and I'm gaining knowledge. Or some people might come and say, hey, I really should check that box. I should be at, at church today. And some of that is kind of a reaction against Catholicism in our area, that the church is in a building, the church is the people, and that is true. And some of it is a reaction against legalism where people would say, well, you don't have to be um, in church every Sunday to, to know the Lord. But I think at the result of all that thinking has really just seeped into the church this idea that it doesn't matter that we gather together like the Lord has commanded us, preach the word, pray the word, sing the word, Take the Lord's Supper. Baptize when people come to faith. This is the Lord's means of grace. It's the corporate gathering. And again, we have this psalmist. He is longing for God. And what is he thinking about? He's thinking about 
the gathering, those times when they got together and they worshiped the Lord in the temple, most likely. Um, so if you can imagine for a moment, and, and, and you may be able to, being separated from, from this. And again, I, I know that everyone in here maybe has a different view of what, what's happening um, here on, on Sunday. And, and we can choose to not come, and we might want to sleep in uh, on a certain Sunday. And, and, but we, we went through the pandemic, and we had how many weeks where we couldn't meet? 12, 10, 12, something like that. I don't remember now, but we didn't meet. And I think that bubbled up um, in a lot of people this idea like, hey, the gathering is more than just teaching, right? You can listen to my sermon or Bernie's sermon or Steve's sermon, um, but it's not going to be the same as being here with God's people. The Lord has ordained the gathering. It's a means of grace. So you've got all sorts of things happening here that, that go beyond teaching. Um, it's his spirit moving amongst his people. So I guess I would ask this morning, have you thought about the role of corporate worship in your spiritual walk in health? Have you thought about that. I know you hear a lot from me about that, but I think it is ac actually, it's preeminent. It is the starting point for healthy discipleship. All right, let's keep moving here. So the psalmist, um, Psalm 42, five to six, he keeps going, and we're gonna look at now what, what he, he, he begins to do. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. My salvation and my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Miser. So he's in the land of Jordan. He's away from the temple. And now he's beginning to talk to himself. He's depressed. We know he's crying. He's struggling. We're going to see what well, we did see, and you're going to see again that he's being taunted by enemies. And he's saying, why are you cast down, O my soul? He's talking to himself. He's preaching to himself. Brothers and sisters, do you realize that most, if not a very high portion of the problems you have in your life are a result of you listening to yourself instead of preaching to yourself. I'll say that again. Do you realize that most, if not a very high percentage of the struggles and problems in your life are due to the fact that you are listening <clears throat> to yourself, and I know this might not logically make sense, instead of preaching to yourself. I know that as your pastor, and when I find myself talking with you, and this is true in, in my own life, that, that generally this is quickly jumps out at me when I'm, when I'm talking. You might be telling me about a problem that you have or something that's going on, and, and it just seems clear that, okay, but that's not the truth. 
And this is why it's so good to have brothers and sisters in our lives who can actually say that to us. But we got to get used to, to preaching to ourselves. And I'll have a few examples <clears throat> here in a moment. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he wrote a whole book on, on Psalm 42. And one of the quotes in, in that book is this. Um, it's um, what I just echoed. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you in the moment you wake up in the morning, okay? Think about it. We all have, you wake up and your mind is being drilled with thoughts and they're not the best thoughts. If you're anything like me, they're not the best thoughts. Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they're talking to you. The main Art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, and question yourself. And that's what we see the psalmist doing here. He's talking to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you within turmoil within me? Hope in God. He's telling himself to hope in God because he's not hoping in God. Right? We have to remember to do that. You're going to have seasons of, of just feeling like you're in a desert and you're going to have to tell yourself, no, God is real. Hope in God. I'm putting my hope in all these other things, all these circumstances, and if, if they go wrong, then I'm all of a sudden miserable. Hope in God. Hope in God. We need to learn to preach to ourselves. When you feel like everything is lining up against you, maybe you're at work, maybe people are, are, are taunting you for your faith. You go to Romans, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Or who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Or maybe you're feeling hopeless in your Christian walk. You've, you've been falling down. You've been in sin and, and the same sin, and you keep going to it. And, and you're like, is anything good happening within me? And then you go to Philippians 6, and you say, no. Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You're having a bad day. You're having a bad week. You're having a bad month. You're having a bad year. If you're his, he will bring it to completion. We got to preach to ourselves, Or maybe that you're being tempted and you're giving in and you're giving in to your sin. And then what happens right after? Condemnation, right? This is the devil. Hey, take a bite, take a bite, take a bite, take a bite. You bite, then he's all over you. That happens. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. None. No condemnation. If you know Jesus Christ, your sin has been paid for on the cross. We have to learn to preach to ourselves. We have to learn that our hearts are deceitful. Jeremiah 17, 9. This verse has been just... I know people have this thing, they call it a life verse, right? And they're usually very, very like excitable verses. And, and I'm not saying that they shouldn't be. But this verse has done more for me 
in my walk with Christ than I think any one verse in the Bible, and it is this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand it. If you can rest in that and rest in the truth, then you're no longer following your heart. And we live in a world right now that tells you to follow your heart. The problem is your heart is fickle. And that's going to change day to day, week to week, month to month. So you follow your heart, you're going to be spinning in a circle for the rest of your life. Jeremiah and, 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 and all throughout the Bible, you, you have God saying, don't necessarily trust your heart. It can be good, and it can lead you, but no, start from a point when you have a thought or a desire that is this in line with the Scriptures. Is this in line with the Scriptures? And, and I think that's what Lloyd-Jones is saying is, hey, the, the psalmist is, is down, but he's preaching to himself that he knows I, you have hope, hope in God. You're one of God's children, you will praise him again one day. Maybe not now, but you will one day praise him again. I don't know if anyone has read any church history, but uh, Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther the Reformer, so in the 1500s, he's a pretty interesting guy. He, he was a bullish man. He, he used a lot of language that wouldn't fly in any church today. Like, we would be like, get, get this man out of here. He's, you know, he's swearing and he's doing this and that. But he was a very bullish man. But he also struggled with severe bouts of depression. Martin Luther struggled with severe bouts of depression. And he had a wife named Catherine von Bora. And Catherine von Bora sounds like a, she was a very strong woman. She was not quiet. She said what was on her mind, like all the time. <laughs> and even when, when Martin had friends over in the house and they were kind of studying theology, she would kind of sidle up with them and give her opinion. And, and just she wasn't afraid um, to, to, to kind of muck it up with, with the men, with the theologians. And, um, the story goes that Luther was having one of his bouts of depression, and he was traveling. And he comes home. He's depressed. Catherine's probably thinking, oh boy, here, you know, Martin's depressed again. This is, you know, whatever. This is getting, getting old. And um, so the story goes and it, that she and the kids, dressed in all black like they were attending a funeral, they, they sit down, and, and, and Martin comes into the room, and he immediately asks, like all of us would ask, who died? Because it looks like we're, there's a funeral about to happen. And she says to her husband, well, God must have died. God must have died, because I'm looking at my husband, and he has no hope. And he immediately snapped out of it. He's like, oh, yeah, and that's the idea. Like, we, we have to learn to do that to ourselves. Like, okay, you're, you're depressed. Well, it's not going to last forever. You're struggling with 
Whatever you're struggling with, it's not going to last forever. And for the Christian, our future is 100% better than our present. It's just a matter of when that future comes. And we know it's coming. The new heavens and the new earth, new bodies, new minds, all of it, it's coming. All right. So the psalmist is preaching to himself. And now he, we're going to look at verse 7. He says, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. I don't know if you've ever played in the waves in the ocean. Um, Over the years, depending on where we've been, uh, I usually like to get out there. Now I'm getting older. I don't get out there as much anymore. I, I like to watch my kids. We call it get trashed by the waves. Does anyone else use that? Okay, so you know, you're in the ocean. Those waves can get big and they can pummel you. And the idea here is um, I can remember at times playing in the waves and, and you're, you're, if they hit you right. They will roll you along the ocean floor, right? And if that ocean floor has shells in it, you're coming up bloodied. Um, but the, I can remember a few times playing in the waves where that would happen, it would hit you, you wouldn't go through it like you thought you should have gone through it, and it hits you right, rolls you on the bottom, you're stunned, you get up and you get hit with another one, right? And they just keep coming at you. That's the idea of what the psalmist is saying. Your breakers and your waves have gone over me. As soon as I get hit with one trial and I'm stunned and I feel like I'm getting my footing, here comes another one. It feels like it's never ending. Isn't this a picture of some periods in our life, in our walk? Maybe you get a a diagnosis that you don't like health-wise, and then it's a problem at work, and then it's financial. And these things can get us to a point where we either are going to lose our minds because we are trying desperately to control our lives that we can't control, or you're going to give up the illusion of control and you're going to turn to the Lord. You're going to turn to the Lord. This is what God wants us to do in trials. Turn to him. Don't white-knuckle the steering wheel. That's going to just exhaust you. Cry out to him. Cry out to him. And if you can note in the psalm, they are his waves, his breakers, and his waterfalls. Deep calls to deep at the roar. It's not of Satan's waterfalls, of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Everything that comes at you and me, trial, good, bad, is either going to be sent by the Lord or allowed by the Lord. He is 100% sovereign. He is not weak. He can stop it. And if you have something going on in your life, you can rest assured that it is in his decreed 
will. It's in his decreed will. Psalm 139 says, all your days have been written. All your days have been written. The sovereignty of God and the providence of God, even in trials, is it's a warm blanket that can comfort you. What's the other option? Well, my God is not strong enough or he didn't see it coming. Satan is strong. Satan is attacking. And I would just implore you, just read, read the scriptures because the scriptures do not talk like that in any way. They're God's waves, God's breakers. God sends calamity. And all of this is, is, is really messy when we think about our, our faith, when we think about lament and we think about following God and, and when we think about trials coming into our life. Like, let's admit for a moment, like, can we admit that we all kind of have, have so drank in the success model of, of the American church that we think if something goes wrong in our life, then it's not God's hand on it. We, we have this kind of idea, and, and again, I'm confessing, I'm not saying you, I'm with you, this idea, if it's not kumbaya, like, hey, I felt really good, God was at work, that was great, it was a great Bible study, it was great this, but no, maybe God's at work in, in the times where you just, you had a miserable day, and you know what, you got a coworker fighting with you, like, that's sanctifying, that's, that is, like, you are becoming more like Christ in those moments, this is the sovereignty of God. And we all want, we want our marriages, our children, our family, our work. We want it to be shiny and, and good, but it's not. And it's never going to be. It's never going to be. And we have to admit that and confess it and have our faith and live our faith and walk our faith in this mess. And that doesn't mean we just give up. That doesn't mean we just give up, but we have to expect it. And this church is why the Lord has given us the Psalms and especially Psalms of lament because we are human. We need songs of lament, Psalms and songs. Let's go to uh, verse 8. <clears throat> By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me. At night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. This psalmist has a song, and you can bet it's a song of lament. Because we're reading this verse within a psalm of lament, and he's saying, your song is with me at night. We have to recover as a church this idea of lament. And I know as I look around the older generation, it's going to be easier for you. And, and some of you are probably thinking, Pastor Anthony, I've never lost it. And, and that could be very well the case. But as a pastor and being involved in, in church life, especially throughout um, the area, what I see is a increasing ignorance of lament in the Christian faith because we just all want victory, right? And victory is real, but lament is real too. A uh, quote from Carl Truman, 
He says, a high proportion of psalms are taken up with lamentation, with feeling sad, unhappy, tormented, and broken. In modern Western culture, these are simply not emotions which have much credibility. Sure, people still feel these things, but to admit that they are a normal part of one's everyday life is tantamount to admitting that one has failed in today's health, wealth, and happiness society. It is disturbing, however, when these cries of lamentation disappear from the language of the church. Perhaps the Western church feels no need to lament, but then it is sadly deluded about how healthy it really is. So brothers and sisters, I would just, again, encourage you, read the Psalms, make the Psalms a a part of your prayer life, your, your Christian walk, and when you read them, kind of make a note, like, hey, this one is a lament. And if you're having a really difficult season, go, go to that psalm. Pray it through. Pray it through in your own words. Think it through. Because the psalms give us language of how to worship as we struggle. All right, so the psalmist keeps going on. I want to look at it. I got a timer now. And... <laughs> It definitely, like, I'm like, oh, no, three minutes, and we've got communion, so this is, I'm, I'm gonna, I might skip some slides. Um, Psalm 42, 9 to 10, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? So, hey, it, it's okay. We can, we can go to God, and we can express that. Like, God, I feel like, I don't feel like you're here. Where are you? Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? The psalmist is is crying out to God. He feels forgotten. The enemy is taunting him like, hey, look at you. You're wherever. You're not flourishing. Your life is is a mess. How can you be a Christian? Where is your God? Where is your God? Your God must be weak. That's what's going on here. Have you ever felt that? I even know some of the, the, the younger kids in the room, I'm sure you felt it even at your age. You might be in a situation and it's like, oh, please, why, why is this happening? Everyone around me knows I'm a Christian. I'm going to look like a fool here. It's going to make God look bad. And that's what's happening here. He's being taunted. Where is your God? Where is your God? God's not saving you. He's, he, you're in this filth. You're away from the temple. But we should take heart. We should take heart. Because in, in a way, Jesus has fulfilled this psalm of lament. Number one, he's fulfilled it sinlessly. And number two, he's, he's experienced everything happening in the psalm at a greater level than any of us have. Let me read for a moment from the Gospel of Matthew. And I want, I want you to be thinking about this as we take communion. So he's on the cross, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. 
So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God, let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. Jesus is upon the cross. The enemies are wagging their finger at him. We know that the crown of thorns was twisted on his head. He was spit on, and they're saying to Jesus, where's your God? You, you, you said you were the son of God. Where is he? You're up on that cross. You have failed. You're a mess. You cannot be the son of God. Jesus was attacked by his enemies in a way that this psalmist was, did not feel, in a way that me and you have not quite experienced. When Jesus was upon the cross, he says to the Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So there was a separation felt as Jesus carried the sin, your sin and my sin on the cross. There was a separation felt from the Father. And he was mocked by all the unbelievers around him. The Holy One, the one who committed no sin, fulfilled this psalm perfectly. And he who committed no sin had the mock and the scorn and the separation. So you and I are not separated from God. We now, through Christ, have the Spirit of God so we don't have to be here in church to feel God's presence. Although we feel his presence in a special way here, when you're home alone, you have, you have the Holy Spirit and you're the temple. God says your body is the temple and Christ purchased that for us. The psalm ends, verse 11, why are you cast down? Again, the, the psalmist is, he's preaching to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Thanks for tuning in with us. We hope that you found this sermon edifying, encouraging, and challenging. To learn more about Vintage Faith Church, visit vintagefaithcicero.com. And of course, if you live in the area, we invite you to worship the Lord with us on Sunday mornings.